0: Welcome to Legal AF Midweek Edition with Michael Popok and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. On today's podcast, we're going to cover Trump two ways. He likes federal judges when he's trying to dismiss the Attorney General's prosecution of him or civil investigation of him, but he doesn't like them when he pulls a Clinton appointee in his big case down in Florida. We're going to talk about Steve Bannon and his latest ploy to avoid prosecution and the trial in July by filing, what else? A motion to dismiss. We'll, we'll talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and KFA's prediction that went exactly to form the federal judge, sending it on to the North Carolina administrative process to decide whether she was an insurrectionist or wasn't, and whether she belongs on the ballot in the Northern District of Georgia. And we're going to end with one of our favorites, Max, masks and vax. We're going to talk about the recent decision by the Middle District of Florida federal judge, to say that masks are not really that sanitary. So the CDC doesn't have the power to enforce them on public transportation. And the Supreme Court coming back once again and saying that the commander in chief uh, and the, uh, in this case, the head of the Air Force can require its uh, uh, soldiers and enlisted personnel to get vaccinated in order as a condition of being in the military. And that's what we're gonna do, Karen. What do you think about all that?
1: Exciting. It's really exciting. It is exciting. Can I start by complimenting your uh, podcast this weekend with Ben, the the, the big main legal AF? I, I listened oh, I okay. I I didn't get a chance to uh, watch it live, which I normally do and chat with all the the listeners, which I love doing, but I I couldn't do it this weekend. It was, you know, so many holidays. I'm Jewish, my husband's (laughs) Catholic, you know, so it just didn't work out this weekend. And uh, but I listened to it the next day and it was one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. And I I really want to compliment you guys on how you handled all the issues and how excellent it was. And in particular, the Elon Musk Tesla uh, what you were saying about about that and the way you described it, it was really fascinating and easy to understand. And uh, despite the fact that we were criticized for our opening, which I didn't love, uh, <laughs> and, I mean, uh, what, was, right. that? So what let, was that about?
0: Let's 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 we're, we're, there's some some sort of fake, phony in good jest war between the two Legal AF podcasts, the one in midweek with you and me and the one on the weekend with Ben and me. And I took a pot shot, I thought it was funny. I think you did, a lot of the audience did. They noticed this collar was pointed in the wrong direction during one of the podcasts. And I made a comment about, you said how I, you complimented me because that's the kind of people that you and me are about whatever I was wearing that day. And I said, yeah unfortunately, Ben hasn't gotten the memo because he looks like he pulls his clothes out of a hamper right before he podcasts on the weekend. He didn't like that. And he got back at me. It was great because I wasn't expecting it. He said, and Popok, what is with the opening that you and Karen are doing on the, on the midweek edition?
1: I know, <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I was like, what?
0: <laughs> I called him out. I said, this is obviously payback for the hamper comment. It's so obvious. But let me just say something about that. The show is the same. The focus is the same. The co-host and their chemistry are different. You and I have a different chemistry than Ben and me. And whereas he is like, even at eight or nine o'clock, you know, whenever we do this, he's like a shot of tequila with a, with a side order of cayenne pepper. We're more like smoldering aged bourbon or scotch. And so our opening is going to be different. Anyway, enough of all the logistics. Let's get down to the stories and let's start with our favorite Donald Trump. So uh, I'll frame it and then I'm going to turn it over to you. We've got an attorney general in um, Letitia James, New York State Attorney General, who is leading a civil investigation of Donald Trump, Trump Organization, and all of his kids. And that's been going on for over a year. It's been supervised, if you will, by a state Supreme Court trial level judge in the state of New York um, the whole time. And 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 everything is vetted with due process and adversarial process. Um, Trump has the right. He has lawyers and he, you know, he makes his arguments to the state court judge. State court judge listens to them and then decides whether he's going to order depositions or order documents be produced or whatever it's going to be. So the whole process with the, unlike what some people might think about, and you'll you'll give your view of a prosecutor or an attorney general, just running wild with all sorts of investigative techniques. This is going through a judge. Everything that Letitia James's team does is vetted ultimately and approved by a state Supreme Court justice. Well, Trump doesn't like how it's been going over the last year. So he and his lawyer of choice, Alina Haba, who's a New Jersey lawyer that works out of a, we work or a Regency office. I'm not kidding in New York filed a federal case, made a federal case out of it in the Northern district of New York. Cause they got to find the furthest place from Manhattan. They can go to try to hopefully find a, a conservative or Republican judge. well, that didn't work because they got a judge, Barbara Sanis, who you may have been in front of before, I, I have uh, by remotely anyway, who's a Democrat, Democratic appointee, and they, they filed an injunction motion, stop the state proceeding, stop Letitia James, she's mean to us. You know, this whole thing's a sham, we want to raise all sorts of constitutional issues. They filed that in December. This is now, let me check my watch. This is now April. The judge has not moved on the preliminary injunction papers at all. So they decided, why don't, we, why don't we write another letter to the judge? Never a wise move in a federal court, but that's what they decided to do. Let's do a letter motion and see if we can get the judge to move. And that's what they did. And so, Karen, what are they trying to do with this federal judge in relation to the state proceeding and the civil investigation?
1: So my well, the theory I have is they're they're trying to basically knock Tish James, the Attorney General, off the case, and that's sort of what I think they're trying to say is that the state doesn't have jurisdiction, and she's the state attorney general, that it's really a federal matter and it belongs in federal court. And the question is, if that happens, will she be knocked off the case or not? Will she lose her jurisdiction? And at first, when I saw this, I, I had a kind of strong reaction thinking this is never going to fly. But then I, I as I sort of read about it and read more into it, I remember when uh, Cy Vance was um, was seeking Trump's tax returns uh, and he that was and it was all part of a big subpoena compliance um, initiative, you know, when they were basically looking into the Trump organization and, you know, the, the now prosecution of of. Um, of Weisselberg and the Trump Organization, as part of that case, they were subpoenaing all sorts of documents, including the president's uh, tax returns. And everybody knows that was a long, hard fought thing. But the state court judge in Manhattan was overseeing this subpoena compliance, much like the state court judge is overseeing the Tish James investigation. In In our case, in the Cy Vance case, um, the, uh, what, what the president did, uh, President Trump at the time did, was uh, bring a motion in federal court just saying it was that this should be removed to federal court, that this is a matter of such great importance and it's a sitting president. And if you allow this to happen, every, um, every elected county prosecutor could go after every president. And, you know, this just can't possibly be the case. And, and, um, state court judges, many of them are elected. Many of them are, are, um, Democrats, Republicans, political—you know—this just opened up the field, the floodgates for all presidents to be either sued or prosecuted all over the country. That this really belongs. sitting
0: all sitting presidents.
1: Yes, exactly. That this really belongs in federal court, and in that case, the judge, the federal judge, agreed and uh, removed the case to just the subpoena compliance part of the case to federal court and ultimately ruled that Trump had to turn over his tax returns. So, I mean, he ruled that it was belonged federally. They appealed the the appellate courts ruled it belonged federally. They went to the Supreme Court of the United States that also said um, basically, yes, it belonged federally and he had to turn over his tax returns. So it was a long fought, hard fought battle, but it's but ultimately it stayed in federal court. And I think that's the precedent they're using to try to say. Well, they are.
0: They are. They're using yeah. U.S. versus Vance while you're in the office to say, see, a sitting president can't be subpoenaed or have a process against him led by a local process, uh, you know, investigative body. But what what is the fly in that ointment, Karen?
1: He's no longer the sitting president. <laughs>
0: right. He's been out of office for a number of years. So I love yeah. when Alina Haben, her filing says It's a great case, this this uh, US versus Vance federal judge up in Northern District of New York. It has the same Trump. (laughs) She actually said it's the same party there in one side of the case and and see what it says. And she leaves out completely the analysis of he's no longer the president.
1: It is. but, But yes, that's true. But it is a similar. it is. Don't forget, this was a joint investigation. This is a similar related case. So I, I'm a little bit just I, I have pause. Let's just say I don't think it's as clear cut staying in the state court as as um, it, you, we one might think, um, because it is. Are we a li- to- can I ask
0: you? Can I ask you a question? It, are we a little late? to be trying to remove, if you will, to federal court. Didn't you waive this already? This investigation has been going on for over a year. Her, she delivered preliminary findings to James like three months ago. She's been ordered by multiple courts to sit for deposition and produce documents. Are we a little late in the game to be arguing that that the state court doesn't have jurisdiction over him?
1: Yeah, I don't know why they waited so long to, to bring this this action. I really don't. Or maybe they just thought of it. Who knows? But I, I, they added. I think they added in here that you know Tish James is racist, and you know they're 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 doing all kinds of all, all their old stops are are coming yeah. out. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see what 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 they do. We'll see. I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the the open uh, question I have is if they decide it does belong in federal court, does that in fact divest? Tish James of her jurisdiction, or can she bring this state court civil case in uh, federal court? And that—that's the open question I have. That I was wondering what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, well, people come here for the commentary and they stay for the predictions. So here's my here's my prediction: This judge is not divesting the state court uh, judge uh, er- Ergeron or Tish James of their jurisdiction over the former president of the United States about his business dealings having nothing to do with his time in office at all. And I think the reason we haven't heard about any um, any decisions or any hearings or any anything on the docket since they filed this BS case in December is because this judge is signaling, this is my interpretation, is signaling that She's really not interested in these issues, and she's got it on the slowest track possible, which drove them crazy. And I think that's what led to them submitting a supplemental brief. I don't think the judge asked for supplemental briefing. If I were the other side, I would move to strike the supplemental filing as being, A, there, it, it's not, that's not in the federal rules. You, you, don't, you get a round of briefing. But the federal rules don't have when you're annoyed that the thing's not moving fast enough for you, you can file a letter brief with the judge asking them to move faster. That's not a thing, and so I think I, if I'm Tish James's office, I move to strike the letter brief and argue that it's improper procedurally; it should be ignored. And I don't think this motivates the judge one whit to move any faster on this. And so when there's full briefing on whatever, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I was going to say, I'll take you to lunch, but we go to lunch anyway.
1: It's if strange, I lose this one, well, it's but a I strange, get I get
0: the precedent. I get the precedent. So you ask me a question. I get the precedent. I don't think it applies. I don't think this judge is going to move on that. And I think Tish James is going to stay as the top sheriff in town when it comes to the civil side of the investigation of Donald Trump and his family.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. But it's it's a strange tactic that they're taking here, because if I were. Trump and his lawyers. I would say to the state court judge, I have this motion pending in federal court. You can't do anything, and you're, you you have to wait until this judge rules before you can do anything. And just delay, 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 delay. I mean, that's Trump's tactic. He loves to delay. And you'll I would think that in this particular instance, he'll also, if if your prediction's right, he'll appeal, and then he'll go to the Supreme Court and delay, you know, more delays, and all the while. The, everyone's frustrated and nothing can get done because the state court has to has to wait for this to weave its way yeah. through the federal court so i'm surprised why trump given this delay tactic and it seems that that would would benefit him why would they poke the judge with this letter brief and, and their loss law-splaining
0: <laughs> well I, I i totally agree with you i think that's a very good observation because as i've said on prior podcasts Trump obviously subscribes to the old theorem when bad things happen to you, make them happen slower. And that's what he's, you know, because the the time is on his side, he can maneuver better with a longer runway. But he's got a problem, right, that that we've talked about in other podcasts. He's got a, a first department state court of appeals case in New York about whether he has to sit for deposition the judge Ergaron, isn't waiting around to see what happens with the federal judge. That, that case got filed in December. The judge, the state court judge has just been chopping wood since then. Trump, you sit for deposition. Trump, you pay $10,000 a day for documents. Let's take, let, let's take this up on appeal. Things are not stopping on the state side and, and less than until there's an injunction. And, um, So I think he had to do something. You know, this is this is being on the runaway train and like pulling the emergency brake and hoping that it stops. But I don't think it's stopping.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So So, so as you were saying earlier, in this particular case, they love the feds and they want to move it to the feds. But then there's this other case, right? Go on. But you're about to (laughs) talk about the other case.
0: Yeah, they, they, they love the feds until they don't like the federal judge that they were <laughs> selected. Now, this one is a little bit closer and, and nearer and dearer to me because I actually practiced in this neck of the woods for 20 years. And I tried cases in front of Judge Middlebrooks, who's the judge that's been assigned the case in federal court, <clears throat> pardon me, Southern District of Florida, by random assignment. <clears throat> now I will tell you, this is like the inside baseball stuff, the just to remind everybody because sometimes you and I start talking in code and we don't bring everybody up to speed for legal AF about a month ago, Trump filed a lawsuit under the racketeering statute, the RICO statute against Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, James Comey and everybody else on his enemies list for the 2016 Russia interference A conspiracy case that he says negatively impacted him. Pardon me. I will remind everybody that he won that election. (laughs) That Hillary, if that's what she was trying to do, was to use the Russia investigation or an attack on him saying that he was in bed with the Russians to stop his being elected president. Newsflash, that did not win. That did not work. He, he was elected president. So what his damages are other than legal fees? I have no idea. But it's another publicity stunt. And who are the lawyers? Alina Haba, who we just talked about, who's not admitted in Florida. So they needed a Florida lawyer. So who did they use? This guy named Ticton, who went to military academy in high school with Donald Trump. Wow. And he wrote a book. And he wrote a book my by, like the real donald trump so he has been you know puckering up and and kissing the backside of donald trump forever and now he's got a chance to be to file the case this big rico case so they're going to do it in. they're going to do it in south florida because tickton sits in fort lauderdale haba sits on the 19th hole of Bedminster golf course for the Trump, the Trump family. So they say, okay, we're going to file down here. But of course they look at the judges and they're like, well, wait a minute. A lot of them may not be in our favor, especially in Miami, or especially in West Palm beach. We're going to drive. You're going to love this because I've done this before. (laughs) They're going to drive the filing or do it electronically now and file it in Fort Pierce, We'll take a moment for everybody to go look on the map to see where Fort Pierce, Florida is. It is the northernmost point of the southern district of Florida district. It's the, it's the top, top, top of it. The bottom of it is Key West. The top of it is Fort Pierce. Why Fort Pierce? Because there's a lot of conservative judges up there. So they think. So they click the box for Fort Pierce. Trump, I don't even think Trump has a home anywhere near there. They just, they think they're going to get a better lottery pick. Well, they spun the wheel and they didn't get a judge in Fort Pierce because the Southern District is one big mass of judges and whoever's got time on their hands, they got Judge Middlebrooks. Why is that bad for them? Because he's a Clinton appointee. So Hillary Clinton, who's the defendant in the case, her husband 25 years ago appointed Don Middlebrooks, who was an amazing commercial litigator at a very good firm that I know in town. Elevated him to the federal bench when he was like in his, I think, early 40s. He's now pushing senior status. I tried a case in front of him about 20 years ago. Really smart judge, Un- unimpeachable in terms of ethics, you know, has been sitting in West Palm Beach all this time. He gets the case. OK, Rico, the The defense is ready and, and like loaded for bear because, A, they want to depose Trump because now he's a plaintiff. And B, they want to move to dismiss the case eventually because it's so ludicrous. Trump looks up and says, oh, crap, filing in Fort Pierce didn't work. I got the worst judge for this. So what do they do? Go ahead, Karen. What do they do next?
1: Yeah, well, now they're trying to file a motion to recuse this judge saying he can't possibly sit and and hear this case because whether or not he can be impartial, there's also a doctrine of the appearance of impartiality that needs to be upheld. And, and so, so that's what they're trying to do. I mean, look, whenever you try to forum shop, like, like the way they did, sometimes it can backfire. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and I always wonder if this happened on purpose because it was so obvious they were forum shopping by going up to to Fort Pierce that they sort of, you know, I'll, I'll volunteer, I'll do it, you know, kind of thing with a judge, but who knows how, how that yeah. works. But but go ahead. But, you know, the the appearance. Uh, no, of-
0: I, I did something very similar. I'll be frank with the audience. I don't remember the case exactly. But I remember there was a reason we didn't want it in Miami, the, the filing. So we went to Fort Pierce. And I'm not kidding. I think we got Middlebrooks because he sits in West Palm. But sometimes he goes up and sits at Fort Pierce. They sort of ride the circuit a little bit. But he he already ruled. He's already. First of all, I don't know if you read the filing. And I mean, can the Trump organization hire lawyers that could file something that doesn't have typos in it? It, 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 It's I mean, it was only a five page motion. And in paragraph ten, they spelled the judge's name wrong. I mean, it's just it's just mind boggling.
1: Look, it's, it's it's, you know, recusal of a federal judge is very, very rare. Right. I mean, have you ever seen it happen? Have you ever had it happen in a case?
0: I've tried once to have a state court judge down in Florida disqualified and I got him disqualified, but he had a history of being disqualified by the appellate court. So I I felt pretty good about that one. And he did some really bad things in the case. Um, I've never moved to disqualify or recuse a federal judge. I never had to. Usually federal judges are beyond reproach. If they suspect that they've got a problem, like they own stock in the company or a, a daughter clerked or did something with the law firm they'll disclose it and then they'll say, they'll invite. Okay, um, it, you know, I invite a motion to disqualify because you have to do it promptly. Um, and they'll sit back and let the parties do it. I had a, I had a case where I decided not to move to recuse. Um, I'm handling a case in Chicago, in Illinois, on behalf of um, a, a litigant against a major Catholic university in the Midwest, random wheel, I get a judge who graduated from what law school? The law school of the university that I'm suing. I had to make a judgment call. Do I move to disqualify him or recuse? Because, and we did the research and I did not have the grounds to do this. This was not enough. The fact that he went to that university without more and there wasn't more was not enough. So I raised the issue at a status conference but I also closed it right down. I said, your honor, I understand you went to that university but we trust your ability. I figure I get a little mileage out of brown-nosing him (laughs) rather than moving to disqualify him. If they did the research, they would have revealed that just because Don Middlebrooks was appointed 25 years ago by Bill Clinton, every federal judge gets appointed by somebody. How many times have you and I talked about Trump appointees who handle Trump cases, cases involving Donald Trump and cases involving his policies, they don't they don't get disqualified. We'd like them to, but they don't get disqualified because he happened to be appointed by Donald Trump. We're going to talk next about the Florida mask uh, federal judge. She's a Trump appointee.
1: Yes, it's don't you think it's a little different? Let's say let's say he had pulled a Trump appointee judge. Let's say it was somebody who he appointed. Do you you don't think that that judge might recuse themselves in a matter where Donald Trump is the plaintiff?
0: I I don't know. I I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen one Trump judge walk away from something that touches on Trump. And the Supreme Court certainly doesn't do it.
1: Yeah, true. I just think that when you're the plaintiff, though, or the defendant, as opposed to one of your policies or one of your agencies. But when when it's when you're the plaintiff or the defendant, I, I wonder whether if you appointed that particular judge, whether that could potentially um, be an issue.
0: You know what Don Middlebrook said, Judge Middlebrook said, and I, I think I liked it and I think it applies to what you're asking. He said judges, federal judges must all transcend politics. And and the fact that I was appointed, like every federal judge is appointed by some president from some party without more is not enough. To find that there's an appearance of impropriety. Impropri- now, if there was more, like he golfed with the president, he went to wherever with Hillary on something, Hillary appointed him to some board or some charity, or the wives or the husbands have a relationship. But the problem is that plus more is missing in that. It's and I think missing, it's missing. Yeah. It's probably missing in the example that you gave. Like without more, the fact that, you know, That the, that he that the person was appointed by Trump, I'm not sure that's enough. I mean, I don't no. think it's enough. I don't yeah. think it's
1: enough. And I, and and the other thing too, I've I've seen in both state and federal court when there's a motion to for recusal for one reason or another, and the judge chooses not to recuse themselves, sometimes I think they bend over backwards to make sure that they are fair to both sides. I, I, I really do think they make sure to protect the record because now that's an issue. And yeah. so in some in some ways, just even raising the issue protects the record and, and makes it so that and if this judge is as good as you say he is, I'm sure he will make sure that he uh, yeah. calls balls and strikes and, and is, is yeah. fair and just.
0: He's going to dismiss that Rico case, but he's going to do it fairly and justly and after a lot of thought. and. By the way, can we
1: can we just talk about the fact that this case, I mean, forget the judge issue. Let's just talk about this case. I mean, Rico cases, you know, that that stands for the racketeering something, Infl- something corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> corruption, you know. racketeering, uh,
0: influence the corrupt yeah. organization. It,
1: it, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's what, it's what, what prosecutors use to prosecute the mafia, you know, for illegal right. organizations of, you know, these, I- these illegal sort of, organizations that have a structure, they have to have a structure, they have to have like someone who's the head and then they have to have like people, you know, who have hierarchy Yeah, exactly. But, but you think (laughs) of Rico, you think of, you know, you think of, like I said, the mafia is what I, is certainly what I think of. And the fact that he's bringing a civil Rico case against his opponent, the democratic party, James Comey, the he even threw in the the Peter Stroke. And and that woman, uh, I forgot forgot her name. And and
0: Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Debbie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was like, it's literally everyone (laughs) he's ever had a beef with. Yeah, it's hit list thrown in there and it's 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 this hit list. And then it's every Hmm. single beef, every issue he's had in like it's it's almost like a therapy session, you know, where he, yeah. he sort of just had to get it all out and get it all off his chest. And and, and he wants the
0: judge to believe that John Podesta, James Comey, Hillary Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and everybody else were all uh, spokes around a wheel of a conspiracy working together to plot the Russian collusion case. Yeah. yeah. And, and And what's his damage?
1: Well, he said, he, what, $24 million in legal fees to uh, that, defend against damage. the the, w- the witch hunt, he says.
0: Hey, how about, all right, but you know what? Then if we're doing that accounting, A, wasn't damaged. He became president. B, how much has he fundraised?
1: Exactly. How much money
0: has he raised? Yeah,
1: I'm sure he didn't pay a dime of that. I'm sure it was all this this fundraising. Exactly. That he
0: and how much, and, and he has made multiples of the $24 using using the, the hoax, Using the big lie, using the whatever to raise money, he does it at a whim. He blows his nose. He gets five million dollars with it. With we can't tweet anymore. Wherever he types up on a on a, I almost said a rotary phone. He types up on a typewriter. Uh, Popox losing it already. Uh, see, last week, last week I wandered off without doing the third segment, and now I'm typing on a phone. I don't know what's happening here. Okay. Anyway, let, Let's let's continue the thread of Trump appointed judges and what they're doing these days and talk about Judge Carl Nichols, who was appointed by Trump in the D.C. Circuit and is the judge presiding over the Steve Bannon trial that's going to trial in July. And as Ben and I talked about last year, there was going to be a motion to dismiss at some point filed by Bannon. I actually thought it was going to happen. And I want to get your prosecutor view. I thought it was going to happen a lot earlier. I thought he was going to get the indictment. but I think the feds thought it was going to happen a lot earlier because they're arguing waiver. You waited too late. He got indicted a long time ago. That's usually when you move to dismiss an indictment at the beginning or maybe soon thereafter, not like three months from trial. What is going on here? And what did the judge, a Trump appointee, what what did what is what do you think the judge is going to rule about dismissing the indictment?
1: I mean, I have no idea what's going on. I can't possibly guess why they would wait so long. I mean, they, they waived that, but they also uh, waived any objection to the privilege issues, et cetera, because they had to make those before Congress, he the, this judge is saying if you wanted to bring these issues forward, you had to bring these before Congress. And by not bringing these issues before Congress, you you've raised them, you've waived them. And so it's, it's not going to succeed here. But I don't know why they waited uh, to do the motion to dismiss. It's very well, strange.
0: There's a lot of weird things coming out of the Bannon camp. I read yesterday that his one of his new lawyers Remember, you remember David Shine or Sean or Schoen, He's the Orthodox Jewish lawyer that argued against the impeachment on behalf of Trump. Oh,
1: right, right.
0: He came. He came out two days ago in the media and said, "If I were his lawyer, then I would have made him go in to testify to Congress, avoid contempt, but take the Fifth Amendment." So he he's just. He's just publicly declaring that that this was all a mistake. Now, what is Bannon right, I mean, Look left how with? many
1: people have tested, have, have got in and given exactly. statements. I mean, so many people have gone in and, and spoken that uh, he sort of missed the boat. I don't know. Well, you know, he- and, well,
0: and, and Bannon has now had one big part of his defense ripped away. I don't think we talked about it, but Ben and Ben and I did two weeks ago. Judge Nichols took away a major defense that Bannon was relying on. He wanted to rely on what what we call advice of counsel, that the reason, don't prosecute me, don't convict me, the reason I didn't appear before the committee is because I was given advice, good, bad, or indifferent, by lawyers that I followed. And the judge said, you know what? Under a 1962 precedent in DC circuit, that is not a defense, the contempt of criminal contempt of Congress. So you don't have that defense. Now they're still tussling over some other defenses that they want to bring. But his big problem is he was not in the White House nor in the executive branch when he when, when all of the information that they're seeking happened. He was already citizen. Steve Bannon, podcast host, he wasn't he wasn't special advisor to the president at the time. So the fact that he keeps saying, but the president told me he was going to assert a you know, executive privilege. And I read a memo in the Department of Justice's own manual about people in the White House. Right. This is like the argument Haba is making about a sitting president who can't be, pro- you know, who can't be prosecuted by a local prosecutor. Great. When you're the sitting president. Bannon is a podcast host at this point, and they narrowly tailored that subpoena to only go after things about Jan 6th, which is like two years after he left the White House. This is a dead bang loser. He goes down in flames in July. I think I don't know if he gets sentenced to the full one year, but he is going to prison, I believe, off of this. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe at the end, Nichols throws him, you know, saves his his butt. And I think this is a jury trial, don't you?
1: Yeah. I think so. I think for sure it's a jury trial. What think, jury
0: in D.C. is not going to convince the better?
1: Yeah, well, contempt is is it's it, it, he's not going to be tried for anything other than did you go before, you know, were you served properly? Did you know about it? And, and did you go? Did you not go? And and so it's a very streamlined, straightforward for, forward case. Here, here- and the Department of Justice prosecutors are making motions and limiting, you know, these pretrial motions. To preclude him from making certain arguments, from introducing certain internal memos—the ones you just said that they're—he's he's saying yeah. he relied on—and they're they're making the mo the necessary motions to say, uh, you know, to say you can't you can't let, bring this stuff in. It's not the law. You can't just. Let say, me
0: ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, prosecutor. Question: Does he have to take the stand in his own defense in order to win? How, do, in other words, let me let, let me ask it another way: How does he? How does he avoid? A conviction without taking the stand? Who's going to put on the
1: evidence? Well, it will be interesting. Um, so don't forget the prosecutor still has to meet their burden and prove each and every element of contempt of Congress beyond a reasonable doubt. And let's say they put on members of Congress, which I'm sure they'll have to do, to, um, to talk about the fact that they why they wanted to have him come, that he had material information to provide and that he was served properly, he didn't come, et cetera. And a good defense attorney is going to be able to uh, potentially um, cross-examine these members of Congress and show their bias and show, et cetera, show show kind of um, all the things that Trump Uh, Trump's side of the aisle and Bannon the witch hunt and all of that's going to want to show. And there could be a jury nullification thing happen here the way we saw with Gretchen Whitmer. You know, none of us predicted that that was going to be that kidnapping plot was going to be not guilty. That was kind of ridiculous. But that was, I think, a, a jury nullification kind of um, kind of case. And I, I think here you 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 potentially depending on, again, how the witnesses do. If he doesn't testify, that that's always a question. That's always an issue. Um, but that's how he would that's how he would win without what it, taking. Yeah, let me, let me
0: what, explain jury nullification. Is that I? we always like to bring up yeah. new less new lessons for the legal efforts.
1: So jury nullification is basically when the jury decides on their own that they don't like a case or that they think that a case doesn't meet its we we didn't you didn't meet your burden um but you did but i don't like your case so i'm gonna so i don't (laughs) like or i or i don't like the law you know i know that you i know judge you're telling me that this is what the law is but i don't like it i think here it would be unfair even though i think that the burden has been met and the elements have been satisfied it would be unfair here for somebody to be convicted. And And they're not allowed to
0: do that. Juries are not allowed. This is a bad thing. Jury nullification. They're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to do
1: it, but it happens. I mean, it, it, it does happen. And so I think that's potentially an an issue. I mean, I think they'll prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, but you know, you could always have one person or another who uh, you could have, don't forget a jury has to be unanimous, right, to convict someone criminally. Yeah. And um, you could always have someone who's a Trump sympathizer, who's on that yeah. case, and who's going to be a no matter what, I'll never convict somebody for for this. I think it was a witch hunt, etc. And that's, you know, so in that particular situation, you could have a hung jury, you know, where, where you have a holdout or two or three, but, you know, you just never know. And of course, if he testifies, yes, he could assert all these defenses and say um, give them something to hang their hat on, but don't forget there's cross examination and the cross examination of Steve Bannon is something that you'd want to buy tickets to uh, oh, to yeah. watch that. That's going some- to be
0: too well. To, yeah, uh, well, one thing I'd like to I'd like to do a little research on is I, I know in in federal court they pull they used to pull the jury pool from the voter voter ranks. They do it now, usually through the Department of of Motor Vehicle. For the D.C. Circuit, I assume that's the Department of Motor Vehicle in and around the District of Columbia. In other words, it's not Virginia. It's not Maryland. It's it's D.C. And that is overwhelmingly a Democratic town. You know, that urban center is very Democratic. I don't think he's going to get a jury of his peers.
1: Fun, (laughs) Fun fact. Um, the, every every state has both federal prosecutors and local prosecutors, and the local prosecutors prosecute state court cases and the federal prosecutors prosecute federal crimes. D.C. is the only jurisdiction where the federal prosecutor actually does both because it's not a state. They don't have a state prosecutor, so the Department of Justice there, the U.S. the United States Attorney has has basically two different divisions. There's the state mm-hmm. court crime division, and then there's the federal court division. And, and yeah. anyway, it's cool. just so, so. in some ways, and the reason I bring that up is um, is they're used to trying state court. You know, just basically they know their jury pool. In other words, you know, they they they're they're very aware of their jury pool, so they'll know how to pick a jury.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is this is we could we could I could talk with you about Bannon all night long, but we're going to move on to, um, you know, speaking of hopeless cases of (laughs) of racists. Let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, this podcast's favorite congressperson in the Northern District of Georgia, who decides that she doesn't like the fact that the election board and the secretary of state and the administrative process is evaluating whether she is qualified or is disabled under the uh, 14th Amendment Article 3, which is commonly referred to as the insurrectionist disability clause coming out of the Civil a clause War. clause none of
1: us heard of until recently.
0: None of, the, none of us heard of. And so she didn't like the fact that, that there was a petition to have her removed from the ballot. Now, let me tell everybody, she's on the absentee ballot that's printed and it's already gone out or it's about to go out. The primary is in May, in May 24th. So there's a fight now to see if she's going to get pulled or yanked, penciled off. Now, let me just tell everybody, I'm not sure this matters at all because- I think that district votes for her. Nonetheless, then there's going to be a fight about whether she gets seated or not. I'm not the the Democrat is not winning. Now, maybe another Republican has to take her place. But the Democrat is not winning in a district that that Trump won by 32 points. Okay, so a ham sandwich wearing a red cap would win that seat. OK, if, if, they, if it went to that. So I don't want to get all excited like we're going to get that district We're Democrats are not getting that district. The question is whether Marjorie, we have to put up with Marjorie Taylor Greene and all of her uh, bizarre conduct and un-American conduct for the next two years or not. So she didn't like the fact that the state proceeding was moving along like a locomotive uh, overseen by Brad Raffensperger with a P. <laughs> who is the secretary of state that Trump called to say, hey, can you find me some votes among friends? She doesn't like that. Things are not going well for her. So she goes to its the court of choice for Republicans in trouble, federal court. Let me go do a federal injunction and try to stop that proceedings. I don't like the way it's going for me. And the wheel spins in the clerk's office. And who does she pull? The Northern District of Georgia.
1: Judge me
0: Judge Totenberg, who's a Democrat. Well, I'm sorry, she was appointed by a Democrat. She probably is a Democrat. And so, you know, she leafs through all of the case law and all of the things about the 14th Amendment. And she looks at the argument that she makes that she she ripped off from Madison Cawthorn, which is that the 1872 Amnesty Act, which applied to Confederate members of the Confederacy was a blanket pass, Forevermore, for all insurrectionists in the future who now get a complete immunity in case they do anything wrong in the future, how could that possibly be fundamental? How did, yeah,
1: how did, how did, the, how did the judge in the Cawthorn case say that uh, that a statute overrules the an amendment to the Constitution? I mean, there's a hierarchy. We know that, <laughs> that the Constitution. Rock,
0: comes- paper, scissor.
1: Yes, I, I mean, how, how did they? How did they get to that?
0: And he is a law, pro- he's a former law professor. He got all tied up in knots with the the this language. There was a comma in the wrong place in the 1872 act. So it must be prospective. Even, even, and,
1: if, the, even if the 1872 act was meant to be prospective, doesn't it still, tr- doesn't the constitution still trump that law? I still don't understand. It, it
0: does. You cannot. Yes. A, co- a Congress, a Congress, a session of Congress cannot, by law, by a statute, override a constitution. Only a constitutional amendment can override right. so, a constitutional so amendment. That's
1: what I didn't understand about the co- about um, that that particular decision. Is even if you buy the the errant comma and you know it's interpreted this way versus that way, even if it make isn't it doesn't it render it invalid because it's trumped well, by the well, constitution? Well, here's so one, that's what here's I not understand.
0: Here's one for you that Judge Totenberg pointed out. If the 1872 Amnesty Act is a blanket uh, removal of disability for everyone, notwithstanding the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, what do you make of the 1898 Amnesty Act? What was that for? Why did you need the 1898 (laughs) Amnesty Act if the 1872 Amnesty Act took care of everything? They forgot. They forgot about it when they did it. So- the judge in a 73-page decision look under a preliminary injunction standard, which means there's four prongs that have to be proven by <clears throat> Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of them being that she has a likelihood of success on the merits, that she's going to win at the trial of this matter on these issues. The judge says, let me see, what is it, First Amendment? No, you're not going to win on the First Amendment. You're on the ballot, and if, you, if we have to take you off the ballot— you know, that's not First Amendment that you, that, you, that you promoted the insurrection. What's your other argument? The 1872 Amnesty Act that was only applicable to Confederate soldiers and leaders? No, that's not applying to you in 2022, and so on and so forth. Now, <clears throat> this is interesting um, in, in sort of the analysis that, that, went, uh, that went forward. The next step now is not, I don't want people to take away from the federal judge's ruling is not that Judge Totenberg has ruled that she's off the ballot. You know, I want to tamp down a little bit the celebration. What she's ruled is she is not going to enjoin or stop or prevent the state proceeding at the administrative law judge level, state level, from continuing to evaluate whether uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is disabled because disabled I don't I mean that in the sense of not being able to be an elected official because she's an insurrectionist. Now, I have that's one That's on
1: Friday, right?
0: That's on Friday. There's a a, a, a state administrative judge And hearing she has to testify, on Friday. right? Well, I don't know. Does she? I mean, maybe there's just argument there proffer that's made, but I have a, I have something for you. And I threw this out of bed. I want to see your reaction. There are 800 people that have been prosecuted or in the the course of being prosecuted for Jan 6th. You made a good comment a podcast or so ago about the nomenclature of the word insurrection and how it's taken on a life of its own. Not one, not one of the 800 has been charged with insurrection. (laughs) Not one. They've been charged with obstruction of a proceeding which is a 20 year federal crime. They've been charged with seditious conspiracy or, cons- or but not one of them and there is an insurrection law in the books that they could be charged with. Does that matter if none of the people that actually took the took the torch and stormed the castle and tried to kill people and stop the peaceful transfer of power if they haven't been charged with insurrection is that a problem for the for this Having the Marjorie Taylor Greens removed from the ballot because they're insurrectionists.
1: I have a related point to your question, which is, Lex, doesn't Marjorie Taylor Green have a uh, sort of a due process right to be prosecuted and convicted of insert being an insurrectionist before she can be removed from the ballot? That's my biggest issue with this right. entire thing. Is, is I understand what you're asking about all the other people and and they weren't. Even charged with that, and that could be for all for all I know, there are elements of that crime that are more complicated, and the than the crimes that these individuals were charged with, and it's more straightforward and it's easier to prove. And why 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 give yourself a headache with eight hundred cases because you have to prove um, prove something that's harder, that's harder to do. And perhaps being an insert, you know, being charged with the crime of being an insurrectionist, that that's harder to prove. So, so there are many reasons why a prosecutor may or may not charge that, but Marjorie Taylor Green. So, so they have a hearing on Friday where, where, um, where she has to testify under oath about her involvement in January 6th. And, um, she answers questions whatever they are but i i just don't understand doesn't she have to be found guilty or doesn't there have to be a finding of some sort of guilt yeah. of being a, of, of of that in order to but, disqualify her
0: yeah a finding I did not of guilt because of course that's that's the prosecutor criminal standard this is a civil standard so what ben and i batted around like a like a um, badminton was is there a
1: civil insurrection Charge as well as a criminal. That's no, my question.
0: No, no, but but the insurrection is not defined in the. It doesn't say crime of insurrection. It says insurrection and rebellion in the Fourteenth Amendment, Article Three. So yes, I there has to be a finding made on some standard, some evidence standard, and you know it's going to be low. It's going to be preponderance of the evidence, not beyond a reasonable doubt, in it's front civil. of this. Administrative Law Judge, this ALJ, and so they're going to put on, you know, the the people for the whatever. There's a whole group here that's been filing these these uh, these uh, complaints, and their lawyers are going to put on a whole slideshow, I'm sure, of her tweets. Um, I, and I know a little something about her Twitter account, <laughs> having having sued her successfully on behalf of Midas Touch. Um, so she's going to they're going to show her tweets, her public statements. I mean, you know, there's no mind mind mouth barrier with Marjorie Taylor Greene. It just comes spewing out. So there's a lot of stuff. They're going to have to choose. There's going to be too much. It's like a fire hose of stuff that she has said that paint her to be anti republic, anti the democracy. An anti-American and an insurrectionist and they're going to put up the best of here's the best 40 things that marjorie taylor green said about jan 6th promoting it fomenting discontent and painting and the judge is going to go mm-hmm, okay and what's the standard i'm supposed to use for this and they're going to say well here's the merriam-webster definition of it you're going to see it and, and don't let it, not you don't laugh the our audience don't laugh because Judges often use, as do lawyers, when, when they can't figure out what, what something means, they'll go take the Merriam-Webster or the Oxford Dictionary definition of something and argue that it applies. Look, we're going to talk about the mask ruling by the Middle District of Florida judge. At one point, she said, I went to the corpus linguistics to find out the meaning of the word sanitary. You and I call that Googling. She Googled she, she gave it this great term I had never heard of, about searching in databases for usage, common usage of words. So you Googled it. All right, Judge, I get it. And to say what, what this word meant or didn't mean in the statute, this judge, this administrative law judge, I am sure is going to be hard on the plaintiff and say, what is the standard I am supposed to use to decide whether, like you just said, she is an insurrectionist. You're not coming here with, Judge, we got a conviction. Here it is. She's convicted. Take her off the ballot. That's easy. This is hard. Yes. So, so I I, yeah, I'm I, not I sure she, get, have, she gets.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think she gets booted.
0: I don't either. And I think, I think we're going to have to vote for her or not vote for her. The ballot box is going to have to decide whether Marjorie Taylor green is going to be a member of Congress or not. I know that's not going to satisfy people are going to be upset during tonight's live chat. You know, we're not here to blow smoke or sunshine. We're here to tell you the truth as best as we analyze it. Let's move on. We'll do the last one. Uh, we'll let's just do. Uh, let's what? Why don't we do masks? Because you know everybody was all upset about it. And and boy, the airlines couldn't wait to implement the new rule. They one one pilot for I think Alaska Airlines got on the microphone. Can you imagine this? You're already freaked out being on planes these days to begin with. And the captain gets on and goes, this is your captain. I am about to make the most momentous announcement of my, he actually said this, my entire career. Okay. When I'm sitting there with like my little mini bottle of scotch or bourbon and I'm on a flight, I don't want to hear the captain say that. And when he said next.
1: Unless it's I won the lotto or something and I'm sharing (laughs) with all of you.
0: Or we're getting in 20 minutes early. Then I'd be really excited. But what he said next was, you may now drop your masks. I'm like, really? Seriously? So here's what happened. A group of concerned citizens and air travelers (laughs) filed a lawsuit because the Biden administration and their CDC, the Center for Disease Control, extended the mask mandate in, in light of the new B2 variant, whatever it is. Um, until they got the handle on the science. They said, you know what? We were going to let it expire on April, whatever, 14th. Let's go to go, let it go for two more weeks. In the meantime, this lawsuit's been going on about, about the fact that the CDC may have exceeded its powers because every, and I agree with this, every agency is a creature of statute, is a creature of legislative history, and a creature of what powers have been delegated to it by Congress. I totally agree with the judge on that point. So they run into court. judge. The mass mandate is beyond the powers of the CDC. They don't have the, despite their name, Centers for Disease Control. <laughs> Sorry. They don't have the right to control disease and come up with a method to stop the spread of the most infectious disease in our lifetime COVID. Okay. And all right. So they go, and, and they, they use the same case law that they, they were successful in getting when the CDC had the eviction moratorium. Even the Supreme Court said, you know what? There's a bunch of things you can do, you know, fumigation, pest control, throwing out mattresses, rent eviction is not one of the things the CDC can do. And I was okay with that because I thought it was a stretch. But prevention of disease by transmission and requiring masks, I did not think this was a problem. So they spin the wheel, we're talking about the wheel a lot tonight, and they get a a newbie, they get a federal judge who's 37 years old, who who spent less than six months in private practice as a lawyer, her entire time, like she was hermetically sealed from the time she graduated law school. She never saw the light of day. She did one federal clerkship after another federal clerkship until she got to Clarence Thomas at the Supreme Court level. So she never saw the light of day as a practicing a lawyer. She never went to court. She never, she never tried a case. She never second chaired a case. She never handed papers to the person trying a case. Never, nothing. But Trump thought, hey, here's an eight year lawyer. We can um, appoint her as a federal judge. So this, this federal judge, Catherine Kimball Mizell, is the judge. She writes a very detailed opinion, which, Karen, why don't you explain why this federal judge believes believes it's beyond the CDC's powers to mandate masks in public transportation?
1: So she said this is a long ruling. I think it was like 60 pages long or so. Um, but basically, she turned to the meaning of sanitation because, you know, basically, you uh, the federal government in regulating disease can regulate sanitation and she said the way she defined sanitation was it has to sanitize or clean and wearing a mask does not clean something which i actually think it does it actually cleans the air that you're breathing out or breathing in but for whatever reason she doesn't think that that uh, that that was Within the definition of sanitation, and and the reason that's relevant is in the rulemaking. You know that that the CDC is allowed to do. That's what that's one of the things that they're allowed to do is is things involving sanitation. Um, the other issue that she sort of talked about was you know there is there is a right to travel in the Constitution of you know the the, the sort of um, constitutional right to to travel, and you you there is. Um, there are limits on how you can restrict people's, uh, you know, laws that restrict people's travel. And she said that some people have to travel, whether it's for work or um, for other reasons, and that this basically restricts that and violates the Administrators Procedures Act and violates the law. Um, and, and that's why she knocked it, it down.
0: Is the right to travel in, embedded in the Commerce Clause? Is that what we're talking about?
1: I think so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, yeah. I I only know I only know that this exists because there were times when I was a prosecutor, when when we had sex offenders, for example, and, and we wanted to, um, you know, ban them from the subway. And uh, because they had these serial gropers who would who would rub up against, um, you know, in New York City, the subways are very, very, very tight. And sometimes you're almost pressed up against someone. Obviously, this is mostly pre covid. The idea of someone breathing in your face today, you know, at rush hours is is almost incomprehensible, but for, for many, many years, you had these, you'd be pressed up like sardines in the subway with people. And you'd have these, these serial sex offender gropers, subway gropers who are just beyond disgusting. And you'd have people with multiple, 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 um, uh, offenses and convictions. And there came a point where we wanted to ban them from the subway and our, the, the, of really smart lawyers who advise you on what you cannot can, can and cannot do in matters such as this said we can't because of the constitutional right to travel. You you couldn't restrict their their ability to travel, and they had a right to do it. So it was just sort of an interesting, I think, an interesting um, point that she made and how she looked at it. Uh, I I think it's completely wrong. I think it's ridiculous. What I didn't understand about this, but what I didn't understand was she's just one judge in florida how does she get to order the entire cdc for the entire united states of america was uh, how how did that work yeah. that the minute she ruled uh, nobody appealed nobody said i'm going to go to another judge you know nobody did anything other than i'm not enforcing this and, and well, that, well
0: well here's what happens i think federal judges have powers that go beyond their jurisdiction when it comes to constitutional or statutory analysis, unless and until another federal judge comes up with a counterposition or a different ruling, and then that's split in the circuit or the split in the law until there's another federal judge that rules somewhere in a different circuit or a different court, that federal ruling is the only federal ruling on the issue and is really has, as you just noted, sort of extensive powers of, around the 50 states until somebody else, you know, if we got, at the, let's say next week, a judge in New York said, that's ridiculous, you know, sort of like what we're watching with the Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn. But until there's a competing decision, that is the decision about, the, about it by a federal judge. Now, here's my problem. I read the, I read the order. This is a, this is an example of reverse engineering. She wanted to get rid of the mass mandate, so she went through trying to find some word, some grammar, some punctuation buried somewhere, anywhere in the statute. And when she didn't like, um, when she didn't like uh, something or it didn't fit her her reverse engineering, she threw it out or ignored it. For instance, rather than go back to the legislative history. <laughs> around the statute, which is a a proper statutory technique to interpret a statute and its meaning, is to go back to see what the framers, what what the sponsors of the bill, what the debate was around the bill, that's all reported in the congressional record. It's right there for her clerks to go find. Rather than do that, she Googled what the word sanitary means. And, but why, didn't, de- why didn't? Why
1: didn't? Why? Why would she even have to Google it? Shouldn't the papers, the party's papers, you know, the, uh, the government here, um, saying that it's a, the CDC? Shouldn't they put the legislative history in their moving papers and and spoon feed right. her the but law? She, yes, but she, she ignored it. it. She, ignored right. it, yeah.
0: she went to her toolbox. She went to she said, what's this one? Legislative history? Nope. Don't want that one. What's this one? A word in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And then I'll Google. I'll do that. Okay. That's so, you know, a lot of times, as you know, federal judges, even state court judges, they sometimes lift their entire decision out of the other, some one brief or the other, or they yeah. just go, no, I'm going to do my own thing. So she ignored legislative history, she ignored plain meaning of the word sanitary and sanitation. Do you know what a surgical mask is technically called? It's called a sanitary face covering.
1: The I didn't word sanitary, wow. yeah, yes, the word sanitary
0: I mean, is used. Yeah. she said, "Oh no, see san- see a mask is not sanitary." Now she's a scientist because it captures droplets. And who is it sanitary for? I'm like, are you kidding me with this pseudoscience yeah, that, This
1: is an absolutely bizarre and wrong now, ruling, which leads me to believe some other judge tomorrow or next week is going to rule differently. And then what? What happens? Who, who, who controls the TSA? No, but like you, you, in the meantime, in the but, meantime. But, here, but
0: here's the problem. And this is what I don't understand. Why did the Biden administration just lay away, down? Yeah. I Why know, did they walk away? I don't,
1: understand away either. I don't rather
0: know. Rather than do some, are they just tired of taking their lumps on masks at the Supreme Court level? Oh, they've they won a couple. Um, like, look, they've had like 10 or 12 cases already. They know where the Supreme Court is sitting. If it's, yeah. if it's it's If it's vaccines, they got a decent shot, depending upon whether there's a military overlay to it. Um, if it's churches, they don't. If it's I, I think, masks. Look,
1: I think they know that masks aren't long for this world anyway. They were about to let yeah. it expire and they extended it a little bit. I think they just said enough. People are have grown mask weary. People are getting I their second second booster. I think they just said, you know, let's just we're done. And and I don't uh, think there's any any going back. I think people I, have gr- mask, I agree with you. People have mask fatigue. And I also think that we haven't done a good job at being consistent. You know, you've got, you've got some people who don't have to wear masks indoors, other people do, and it's caused a lot of fatigue and confusion. I think people have just had it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think the Biden administration has made a political call that they were going to let it expire anyway, and they don't want to make more bad law on their watch that, that, that other presidents Maybe this one, and then if he if he's re-elected, have to live with. Every time you go knock on the door of the Supreme Court, you have a chance to make good law that you like, or you can get beaten with both ends of the stick and end up with bad law that you have forever, you know, because well. I used to say forever because precedent lasted a long time. It doesn't last a long time with the current makeup of the Supreme Court. They're like, when did we last make that decision? Four years ago? Let's bring it back up and do it again, because now we've got the numbers. I mean, it's really it's disheartening and ridiculous. But Karen, we've reached the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF. It is my favorite time during the week, don't tell Ben. <laughs> it might have to do with how you dress. I think it's always <laughs> immaculate and perfect and great, and I enjoy my time with you. So, any concluding words or parting words before we s- sign off for tonight?
1: Not, not none actually. No concluding <laughs> no, words for tonight. No. I uh, pass. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a pass. Yeah, no, I just. <laughs> I, I, uh, my only parting words are: I like our beginning. I, I don't. We don't need to have that big dramatic beginning that you know. Yeah, it,
0: it, he, he likes to wake the dead. For, for the beginning of it. And that's, a, you know what? That's a new thing he's been doing anyway. We didn't originally do that. If you go back to older episodes of the pod, you know he that's become a new thing and you know I, we ha-
1: you know what we have to do we have to put together somebody has to somebody who's listening to this who's really good at this has to put together like the best of Ben's intros yes. all from like the beginning and then sort of the <laughs> crescendo of the 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 shouting at the end and i bet it would be hilarious absolutely <laughs> uh, hilarious
0: all right we're i've somebody out there and i can think of a few people that are good at this put together a compilation best of Ben openings and closings for legal AF over time and we'll run it somewhere so one of us will run it
1: it'll but, be hilarious because you'll see the build-up right. and the the, the oh, fact yeah. that he's he's sort of changed <laughs> you'll see you'll see the athletic greens sort of you know uh, take hold and now he's got so much more energy you know yeah. <laughs> we'll and, and
0: also let's be frank and then we'll end it on this I'm on I don't know episode 60 60 with Ben you and I've been doing this like you know 14 episodes 15 episodes and and uh and i think we're imp- i don't know i like to think we're improving every time i try to <laughs> Me
1: too. i think
0: we are <laughs> i think we are all right and anyway we'll we'll uh, we'll let everybody in the live chat tonight tell us whether they think we are and we'll look forward okay. to next week shout out to the Midas mighty and the legal Affers and the right. k fans <laughs> take care so long
1: bye Bye-bye.